I think more than the platforms that you know, I think making yourself valuable is the kind of person you are and like being eager to learn, having ways to figure out things if you don't know them. Welcome to the OpStars podcast, where we talk to revenue operations pros at the top of their game so that we can collectively support each other through the sharing of ideas, learning best practices, and discovering innovative new strategies. I'm your host, Don Opfos. Thanks for joining us again on the OpStars podcast. I'm Don Opfos. I'm the VP of Alliances and Partnerships at Lean Data. And uh, with us today is Rachel Godfrey. She is the 2023 OpStar of the Year Award winner. She is the Senior Marketing Operations Manager at Bamboo HR. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yes, excited to have you. One of the things I love to talk about is kind of like, how did somebody fall into, and no one ever goes into RevOps, right? It always seems like it's something that people fall into doing because of something else. And I think you have a great story. You joined a company and the name of the company was Zenger Folkman, I believe. Mm-hmm. And what does Zenger Folkman do? So they are a leadership development company. They help leaders in different organizations figure out where their strengths are and develop those strengths so that they can become Extraordinary leaders was their goal. Got it. So you had joined them to do marketing, if I remember right. Yeah. Could you share your story about what it was like when you had joined and how you ended up falling into RevOps, you know, starting from marketing or really falling into a RevOps function because of what happened at that company? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it's funny that you said no one really goes into RevOps (laughs) to start with. And I graduated college in 2010, I think. And marketing operations wasn't really a position anyway. And what was your major? My major was marketing. Okay. So you had a marketing major. So you're coming out of school like, hey, I'm going to do marketing. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, was the bottom of the recession from the 2008 housing crisis. And I'm getting married in two months and just wondering how I'm going to live, you know, and trying to find really a position anywhere that would take someone because no one was hiring anywhere. It was kind of before the tech boom in Utah as well. And so I got a marketing specialist job at this leadership development company. And the median age there, like the founders, I think we celebrated the president of the company's 80th birthday while I was there. And then his co-founder, I think, was in his late 60s. I don't know. As a 20-year-old, everyone seems way older than you. (laughs) It's like working with your parents. (laughs) Yeah, 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 totally. But it was a small company, so we all wore a lot of hats. So I started out just kind of doing some of the email automation and a few other things there. And They really needed someone to kind of take over their Salesforce implementation, just trying to figure out how do we make Salesforce work better for our company and switched from Pardot or something and were probably not leveraging Salesforce to its fullest and that they knew that they could. Did I have any Salesforce experience? No, I did not. Like, I didn't even know Salesforce was the thing when I graduated college. And when you started too, they were like, can you do this email marketing thing? Like they knew they knew they needed to do email marketing, but they had no idea what it was. And it would just, it sell to you, right? Yeah. I mean, my manager definitely knew what it was, but they're like, hey, we got to do this. And, and so I would set up the automations and things for that. And I just kind of fell into the Salesforce admin side, which, you know, being at a bigger company now with over a thousand employees, what I was doing as a quote admin is not as extensive as what our admins are doing today. But that 
experience just sort of opened up a whole new world for operations for me that I started getting LinkedIn messages like, hey, you know, Salesforce, come work for us doing Salesforce. I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to do this marketing thing. But that really was somewhere that I had a lot of strengths to be operationally minded. And so that is kind of where my experience started to leave me with that first job. Yeah. No, I mean, once you started learning about Salesforce, I mean, were you able to do things like get certified? Did you get to go to Dreamforce? When you say the doors were opened, I mean, I know there were career things, but you were probably also exploring a lot of what Salesforce could do too, right? Yeah. So I, I did get to go to Dreamforce at that company. Yeah, it's crazy. I was pregnant with my first daughter and I went out to Dreamforce all alone by myself thinking about going out to lean data for the ox stars thing now 13 years later all alone i'm like looking at the airbnbs and i'm like oh i don't know i don't know if i want to show up at that airbnb it doesn't have any ratings all by myself yeah so crazy i was out there for drink force and just learning about all the things that we could really leverage to make our instance better and marketo was kind of a new thing at that time what and we were looking at attribution how can we do all these things because we were so little of a company, we weren't investing heavily in all of the automation, but it was an exciting thing to like look into. And so I did take time off in my career to just be home with my kids and my family. And in 2020, I was like, oh gosh, I've been home with these people a lot. And <laughs> I, need to, I need to do something where I feel like I'm using my brain and getting you know, just some fulfillment out of not having to do something again and again, like the dishes every day. So I started looking for a job and came across the job opening with a company that we had family friend connections and they needed a HubSpot marketing yeah. operation manager. And so I applied for the job and I didn't have HubSpot experience, like I said, like it'd been 10 years and those sort of things just kind of popped up and grew in that decade. And so I just got on HubSpot's certification stuff and just went through all the certifications and said, well, I haven't used HubSpot yet, but I got certified. So like, I'm sure I can learn it. And that really impressed the woman who was over marketing, Darcy Wild there. And she was like, yep. We'll take you. And pretty soon she was like, oh, yeah, we got to deal with Rachel. Like, she's ready for more, you know? And so that kind of led me to my current position at Bamboo HR, where I'm working as a marketing operations manager and learn Marketo from scratch there. And yeah, it's been an interesting ride, just focusing more on the operations side when I thought I would be more focused on marketing and, you know, doing ads for Target or something <laughs> when you're all right? <laughs> so I know you mentioned you had a break, right? Because you decided you'd wanted to start a family. I know we've had other guests on too that for whatever reason have had a had a long break in their career and they want to be able to come back and, and enter the workforce. I guess one of the challenges you ran into was relearn like a whole new platform you had never used before. But like in that time frame, HubSpot had really grown. You're almost like starting from scratch again. Is that the way you felt or like, what did you do to overcome that challenge to really make yourself valuable to your organization? I think more than the platforms that you know, I think making yourself valuable is the kind of person you are and like being eager to learn, 
having ways to figure out things if you don't know them, right? Because there's so many platforms that there's no way you can possibly know all of them. Obviously, there's some key ones, Salesforce being a big one that it's good to know, but there are so many certifications, both free or even just like Udemy or YouTube, that if you can find some online resources to just freshen up your skills in those platforms, I think that can really help open doors for you. But I think even, you know, when we're interviewing people, I don't really care how much they know about a specific platform. I'd rather see like, what's their thought process? If they have this sort of problem, how would they go about solving it? What's their work ethic or how would they manage a project? That to me is more important than any specific platform. Because platforms you can learn, but those soft skills, I think, are harder to teach. Yeah, it's just almost like you're looking for that curiosity. That's what I always try to find. It's like, I don't want to have people on my team that are just going to do everything I tell them to do and not ask questions why, right? Because if they're asking why and I have to explain myself, it's probably going to expose something else, right? You want to go down all those paths and different things that might happen, different scenarios. And by having people that ask why, or are at least curious about it, proactive and presenting a different point of view, you build a lot better team that way. Totally. And I think it helps you to solidify why you're still doing things the way you are, right? Yep. No, it's very true. So Another thing we talked about is creativity. How would you say that your creative mindset has contributed to your success in marketing and revenue operations for the roles that you've done? It's interesting because I don't think you think about operations and think, oh, that's a job where I get to be really creative. It's kind of boring, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're like, maybe I'll go into graphic design if I want to be creative. <laughs> but I do think operations or even engineering coding, I think those are where you have a problem that really there's not one clearer solution. And so you have to take all your inputs of like, here's my constraints, here's our goals, here's all the things that we need to balance and figure out how do I solve for all of those things in the most efficient way, right? So yeah, I think creativity really plays a lot into the job of, am I willing to think outside the box? Am I willing to do things differently than they've been done? Am I willing to keep things the same if that's where the data is saying, really, we don't need to change this because this is going to be more effective than any cost to change it. Again, it goes back to that curiosity, right? That being curious leads you to being creative and getting creative around how you solve problems for RevOps ends up allowing you to be more efficient, I think. Yeah. And I think even just really peeling back why, going down quite a few layers to why can help you step back from the initial problem that stakeholders are usually like, hey, can you set this one piece up for me? And it's like, uh, sure, I definitely can do that. But why? What are you trying yeah. to <laughs> What are you trying to sell for? <laughs> yeah. I'm not just going to build this report for you. I need to know why you need this report. Yeah. Right. And then I think that helps you deliver a better result, too, is that you've really understood the why and then you can give them what they really were looking for versus just like that top layer of where they were maybe trying to do something themselves and they're like, oh, I'm just stuck on this piece. And it's like, let's get down to the root of the problem and then we can find the really best solution for what you're trying to solve for. Yeah, Exactly. What strategies have you used to balance that creativity and efficiency in your marketing operations that you've done? 
when I see an issue coming up over and over where it's like, okay, there's something really here that needs to be solved for that's going to take stepping back rather than just, okay, I fixed that today, I fixed that today. Or you'll see things that tend to prop up in a cluster where there's related issues to solve or opportunities to take advantage of. That I feel like that's where you really start to leverage the creative side versus just like getting things done, knocking off tasks where you can take a step back, look at a little higher view and see all the different aspects that, okay, I could solve for this and also get this opportunity. Is there a project you could talk about where that resourcefulness and imagination played a key role? Well, we just redid all of our expansion routing this year. And so that's kind of one of those issues where for the first year that I worked here, all I kept hearing was expansion routing needs fixing. We got to fix expansion routing. And, and most of it had been just in Apex code that we have one engineer at our company that knows it all, right? And then if anything were to ever happen to him, we'd probably in trouble, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so if there were anything that we wanted to change on the routing, we would have to go through him and that would take a while to fix. And little issues here and there that just took a while to fix because that wasn't his main job, right? Like he was building quite a few things for a lot of different teams. What is expansion routing? We have reps that are just dedicated to our customer sales reps that are just dedicated to add-ons for our customers. Upsells, okay. Yeah, upsells. But it's kind of been backburnered as far as operational resources and just strategy overall of operation, how we make this grow and scale. And so I kept hearing all of these, there's problems. I'm like, I've heard this for a whole year. When are we going to start doing something about it? And nobody raised their hand. So I said, I'll take it. I'll fix it. And we'll get this thing done. So we were using custom objects before and, and we were coming up against some friction with Salesforce processing, not being able to handle a lot of capacity when processing that custom object. And so we decided to move to just using opportunities and like the native objects in Salesforce contact leads opportunities. So that took a lot of creativity of how do we move an existing process to a new process that might feel like a step back because we're moving away from a custom object that we thought would be a great solution. And honestly, I think if I had been here when they built it, I would have been like, yeah, this seems like a great solution. I can't always see what the constraints are going to be down the road. So we figured out, okay, how do we process all our leads and contacts kind of the same? And then we can determine using lean data, who is our customer? And then at that decision point, that's where we'll route to our customer-centric sales team. And that took a lot of scoping and a lot of just creativity to try and satisfy all the requirements for sales, for marketing, for operations. But we're almost like a year out from a full implementation and I can see the things that maybe didn't get scoped perfectly that I'm like, oh, we, we maybe could have done that differently. But, you know, you live and you learn. And I think overall, the end product is better than what we had before. Yeah, it's almost like you opened Pandora's box. I want to fix this one problem, but oh, if I fix this one problem, there's other problems I could fix too. And yeah, I, yeah. And then, oh, wait, that's going to cause other problems. Uh, yeah. And it's just... It, 
I guess, scope creep, you know, as they think it's what they call it, right? So it's like your scope of what you originally started out to do ends up being this much larger project. Yeah. But it sounds like it ended up successfully. Did you move off of Apex and over to lead data? Yeah. Okay. So you were able to offload a lot of legacy code where you're relying on like one person to something that was a lot more elegant and like a lean data solution. Was that your Opstar of the Year award submission? It was part of it. Yeah. It's been that whole overhaul over the past couple of years that we've been just speeding up all of our Marketo processing and then speeding up all of our lead processing. So all our net new trying to get our speed to lead down to just five minutes or less from a form submit to being called by a sales rep. Five minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Even at Lean Data, we have 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think our Marketo processing is down to one minute on average. And then, yeah, the pickup between Marketo pushing a sales force and Lean Data processing is about two minutes. So I think on average, we're under five minutes, which was the goal. So prospects must be really impressed when they get that call or that email back from the exact right rep that's going to work with them. Yeah. You know, sometimes we do get people saying, well, you know, I was going to go with this competitor, but you guys called me back first. So yeah, it makes an impression. It makes a really, really positive impression when you do that. Well, and we serve, you know, smaller businesses on the whole. And so if you can call back the decision maker within five minutes, the deal's halfway done there. Yeah. That makes that positive impression. And again, it, it almost goes back to another thing that I usually talk about as well is this, you know, RevOps kind of owns that customer journey and that customer journey starts when that lead comes in, in my mind. And so like if we in RevOps could make that an amazing experience, we're going to benefit the company in ways that probably no one's even thought of just by making that initial connection quickly and have it come from the right person at your organization. Right. And that's my goal for next year is how do we make it easier for our customers to get a hold of us and book more business with us? So we're spinning that new, but I'm on to customers now. When you talk about RevOps owning the customer journey, it ends up being a lot of things if you think about it, right? So like most people think, oh, it's like speed to lead. It's getting that, you know, lead answered, like what we just talked about. But now what you're talking about, it's like, okay, well, how can I make sure that our customers can get a hold of us? Well, then you could end up starting to get into IT. Like, how do I make sure our phone system is routing people correctly? Someone calls an 800 number. How do I, from a RevOps perspective, make that experience amazing? It almost sounds like that's what you're targeting for next year. So when you call 1-800-BAMBOO-HR, whatever the number is, you're going to get to the right person that's going to service you in the right way for whatever your specific need is. Yeah. And most of our traffic is online. So actually, a lot of our customers reach us just through our product that they'll reach out either to support. And we want to make sure that they also can reach out to sales really easily without having to leave our product. So that's my goal. That's cool. So what are the strengths that you think that you have that have contributed really the most to your success that you've had in RevOps? I think that I'm a little bit persistent. (laughs) (laughs) i do think that that's probably my biggest strength in but pleasantly right pleasantly persistent i I have been called a taskmaster at multiple organizations (laughs) i would say just persistence in like if this is something that we want to solve for an opportunity we want to capitalize on 
making sure that you create a plan and then see that plan through till the end. Especially in RevOps, I think we have a lot of different inputs from sales, from marketing that tend to be forgotten within a month or two. That's like, oh yeah, we were going to do that, right? But tying up all the loose ends even at the end of the project or making sure that everything gets done. I do think that that is something that's helped me be successful. And then also the curiosity where asking the extra questions, I think really helps you get to the root of the problem or what you're trying to accomplish. And that helps you make a better solution for whoever's involved. That's true. Have you ever found a situation where you, you've had to be vocal about a problem that you saw that others might not have seen? Yes. Well, that's where I'm kind of at right now. I mean, we're looking at all of our planning for next year and trying to figure out where do we want to focus? How do we want to structure sales teams and goals and things like that? And it's going back to our customers and expansion and trying to figure out what's the best way to structure our sales team, which I'm in marketing ops. So sales ops is, is you know, to tackling that. But also, how do we structure how we're marketing to our customers or to our leads so that we have the right lead flow to these people, the sales reps? They can meet their quota. We can meet company goals. But we have some interesting challenges with all of our add-ons and which reps can sell what. And right now, I feel like it's a little bit of a clunky experience for our customers who I feel like should have the best experience with us because they've already trusted us with their business. So right now, sometimes you could have as many as three sales reps involved in a add-on contract Oof. simultaneously, not just one-to-one-to-one. So you're trying to yell stop. Yeah, right? yeah. <laughs> you're like, we need to fix this. This needs to stop. Our customers are having a bad experience. So you want to stop the assembly line, so to speak, right? You want to be the one that's going to like pull the lever to say no more. You know, recently there was a story of Alaska Airlines had a flight out of Seattle that was going to Hawaii and it had a tail strike. And tail strikes are uncommon, but they're not unheard of and they're not life-threatening typically, right? You strike the back of the airplane, they have to come back and they unload everybody and they got to repair the plane. But then there was another one like within an hour it was another flight to Hawaii and it struck again. And there was somebody at Alaska Airlines who basically said, stop, we have to put a full stop on every flight of Alaska Airlines in the entire country. Something's wrong. And this person had the power. They were not a high level person either. I think they were mid-level, but they had the power to be able to say, I see something wrong and I need to stop our entire operation until we figure out what it is. And apparently there was a bug in some software that when you program the planes to take off, you type in the weight and it was not doing the math right. And it was causing the plane to not have enough thrust. And because it didn't have enough thrust, they were striking the tail on the, on the takeoff. And the, you know, these, when you fly to Hawaii from Seattle, it's pretty heavy because they have a lot of fuel, obviously. And so this person had the power to basically shut down all of Alaska's operations. I think it was half a day and they figured out it was a bug in their software. But it's almost like that, right? Like if you see something where I know that our customers are having a horrible experience and I think we need to stop what we're doing and fix it, 
you know, having the power to do that and rev ops, I think is really, really important. Yeah, I think that example is really interesting with, you know, you think about like Chernobyl or the Challenger explosion where the ops people, they knew, they knew that there was at least the potential, you know, a high risk of a problem, but they were either silenced or couldn't speak up. So for that mid-level person at Alaska to have the authority for a very costly, I'm sure, for the airlines shut down even just half a day, I'm sure is probably millions of dollars lost, is pretty incredible. And I wonder, like, how do we as operations build that trust and authority that if someone in ops raises a red flag, then that people are listening and I think you do have to be able to present a solution pretty quickly. And I think that's thinking about those examples. There were a few things that came to mind was having those systems to flag when there's issues, that building those within your organization to flag those. But even reading that article, it sounded like there were a couple pilots that reported that, that they said this seems this weird. is weird <laughs> yeah yeah but there were a couple of pilots that didn't take off they were like hey this is weird something doesn't seem right and they didn't take off and i think like keeping an ear with the sales team or whomever you're working with sometimes people are like oh you don't need to listen to those sdrs or but like if there's smoke there's usually fire right and if you hear two examples it's like oh now i've got a pattern let's go look at this and see what's up the best people that understand a problem are the people that are closest to it. If there is a problem like that, it is going to be your SDR. It's going to be your AEs. You listen to what they say, and if you hear it more than a couple times, you probably have a problem. And that's really where giving RevOps the power to be able to step in and make those decisions to say stop. I think it's really valuable for an organization because it's an area of expertise that I think doesn't get exploited enough, where you have a, a group of people that really understand the ins and outs of the organization that can really help diagnose something that you may not even know exists if you're either an executive or you're higher up in the organization. So, you know, empowering your RevOps people to be able to pull that switch to say no, I think is important. The balance is, is like, okay, so you get to say no, now you're going forward with your decision. There's uncertainties, you know, or there's opposition. What do you do? Yeah, I think, and this is, you know, a learning lesson for me too, is do all that you can to be in conversations as things are being decided or built, right? So you're not the one that has to say, okay, I'll just go do it now that you've decided everything or, oh, wait, there's a problem. And it's like, well, it's too late now, right? So I think making sure that you are building that thought leadership, that you know what you're talking about in the good times so that if there are things where you kind of have to go toe to toe and say, operationally, this is not going to work. Let's move in this direction. I think, yeah, if you can build that trust by being in the room, even if you are just a fly on the wall most of the time, I think it, it helps to try to be part of those strategic conversations sooner rather than later. No, absolutely. No, those are great points. As we're wrapping up, from your experience, what do you see as kind of the future of revenue operations and what advice would you give other professionals that are aspiring to, to enter this field? Yeah. I mean, AI is what comes to mind, I think, for everyone right now is how do we as operations professionals leverage AI 
I think some people get nervous that it's going to take over, but I think it just helps us speed up our processing. I mean, even just thinking about things I've been trying to do in lean data where I'm like, I don't really know the Salesforce code language. I need to figure this out and I need to do it right now. So I'm just going to ask ChatGPT, like, write me a formula that does this. And then I, I was able to like move on with my task. It works, right? It's like, <laughs> uh, yeah, it is crazy. <laughs> and especially for technical things like that, it is really, really valuable. And and then, then I didn't have to use up the time of our one Salesforce engineer to get those questions answered. So it can help you leverage your time better. And then also, you know, what are the opportunities to operationalize things for your other team? that can free up their time to be doing the most valuable things that humans can do versus, you know, a robot can write a sales loft email. Yeah, no, it's very true. It's going to be really interesting to see what AI brings to RevOps. You think about the language models that you could build just within the population of your CRM. Like all your fields have names. So there's a standard language that your CRM has that you've built over time that once you teach an AI what it is and learns how it interacts with everything, you know, it makes it really, really easy to really make it something amazing. Yeah. I don't think we're leveraging it quite enough yet, right? That it's, it's kind of a new thing, but I think it will be really exciting to see how that changes the landscape of our profession using AI in the next couple of years. And then your other question was, what's my advice for someone who's aspiring to be in ops? I think just stay curious. Just stay open to opportunities that might come your way. You may not know exactly how to get into an operations position, but I think even if there's that role at the company that you're at, you can just be like, hey, I'm interested in that. What are the skills that you're looking for in this role? Yeah, just stay open to opportunities. So when people ask me, you know, what are your career goals? And I am insanely goal-oriented. I have all these goals and schemas to keep track of all the things that I want to accomplish. And when it comes to my career, if I had been solely focused on marketing, I never would have found something that I feel like really fits my strength. Keeping an open mind to something that may not even exist right now, but could in two or three years, I think we're in a really fast-paced growth environment for RevOps. And so keeping your eyes open for opportunities where it's like, hey, I have a few skills that might fit that and it sounds interesting to me. I'm just going to go for it. Find certifications to fill gaps and just believe in yourself, I guess. Go for it and don't be afraid to go for something that may not be a perfect fit for everything that you've done in the past because nobody's a perfect for RevOps, you know, coming into it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you know my story, but like my background, I was in sales for years I was 37. I was an AE at MuleSoft back when MuleSoft was like 100 people. It was 2008. You talked about how, you know, it was kind of the downturn. They're laying people off and my VP came to me and he's like, look, Don, I had actually worked for him at a different company. And he's like, I'm going to lay you off today and I'm going to be a reference for you, but I'm not going to be a reference for you if you go get a AE job. But I will be a reference for you if you go get a sales ops. At the time, it was called sales ops job. Because you're the guy everyone turns to. Like, whenever someone needed something on the sales force, I was the one that knew how to do it. And you probably enjoyed it. You're like, yeah. Oh, I loved it. 
I would have never imagined that there was a career behind it, right? So at 37, I left sales and I went into sales office and I was lucky that I found a company that was willing to take a chance on somebody that had never done the role before. And it was a company called Yammer. I don't know if you remember Yammer. When I joined, there was $0 ARR. We ended up being $80 million after we got acquired from Microsoft. And everything that we grew on was built on what I had done when I first started in the first three weeks, where I was like, look, here are the processes we need. Here's what we got to do. Basics and then stages and opportunities. And like it was all stuff that none of the sales guys had ever really heard of. And I'm like, just trust me, we're going to do this. And then, you know, whoop, and just goes from there. So what I tell people is it's never too late to start. If you want to get into RevOps and you have a sales or marketing or SDR background, take the courses, know the ins and outs of what RevOps is. There's a lot of stuff out there to learn. And you just have to find someone to take a chance on you. And then you grow from there. This was kind of what I think. But Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. This was a great discussion. The Opstars podcast is brought to you by Lean Data. To find out more about us and our suite of Salesforce native products for marketing, sales, and revenue operations, head to leandata.com and then make sure to search for Opstars in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that podcasts are found. Make sure to click subscribe so you don't miss on any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Opstars and Lean Data, thanks for listening.